Hey folks, this is Dr. Rob, and welcome to Overcoming Betrayal and Addiction, a podcast brought to you by Seeking Integrity Treatment Programs and hosted by me and my sidekick, Tammy. Say hi, Tammy. Hi, Dr. Rob. Thank you. Our show provides useful answers to your most asked questions about cheating, betrayal, and addiction. Let's get started. Thank you, Dr. Rob. I haven't seen your meeting in a long time since I've been working on Monday nights for the last two years, but I just lost my job through no fault of my own. How do you suggest not putting your whole identity into a job? I kind of went from being obsessed with a relationship to getting obsessed with work instead. Now that it's over, I feel a bit empty inside. Well, just a little piece. A job is a real thing, right? You do depend on it. You are invested in it. I'm not saying that you should obsess about it, pull your whole life into it. But when you lose a job, there's grief. There is loss. It's not just the job. It's also the role you had. I'm used to reporting people. I'm used to going doing these things. I'm used to now I'm home all the time. So I, I would treat the job thing like a grief issue. So grief to me means I need more support. I need to be talking about this and, you know, spending more time with people. So I don't think, so whatever you did before to support your recovery now is not enough because now you're at a deficit. Now you're upset about something. Now you have more free time. So now is the time to step up your recovery, more meetings, more groups, more therapy, take a course, you know, again, um, you'll get another job, but the time that you've put in taken out of this, when you don't have as much work time at the time you're investing in getting that foundation further under you is going to keep you more stable the next time you get work what should your life should be about is your life not about work not about someone else but about the big picture and how do i want my life to work and where is it working and where is it not working and i'm not saying to be self-obsessed but i'm saying be obsessed with um, am I doing all of the things I need to do to be healthy? You know, am I exercising? Am I spending time with family? Am I out there having some fun that's healthy? Am I going to support groups? Look at your life and see your life is your job. That's your job. And that's a great thing to be obsessed with in a healthy way. Um, Tammy? I, it's work is one of those that's really challenging because we do get to add a boy, add a girl and Oh, you're doing so good, and da, 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 you know, so and the money. You, yeah, you, while well, you get positive affirmation, even though your life can be completely out of balance. So, um, uh, one of my hardest lessons was finding moderation because I'm 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 on the pendulum swing, and the only time I was going through the middle was when I was going through the middle. So, learning, you know, work boundaries enjoying life boundaries, you know, finding the right balance. You won't do it perfectly, but I think what I'm going to reframe this for you. I'm in grief. I get it, but what a great opportunity to have recovery Mm -hmm. and have a period of time where you can give pause and think about what do you want for the next chapter of your life? You know, rather than quit going back and cramming into Another job that's the same, you know, because I have to get a job. It's like, you know, be a little reflective, get input from qualified people, your peers, you know, to help you figure it out. You may be on the cusp of like the best chapter yet in your life with recovery tools and more balance in your situation. So I'm 
I'm excited for you. I know it's like a loss too, but, but there's also this opportunity to, to look at things differently and, and, and look at it. Cause we, you know, the other thing with work is we kind of get head down doing whatever we're doing and we don't take that pause to, you know, to uh, look and reflect on, you know, is this what I want to do? Is this how I want to do it? Is this the balance of, you know, how much, I mean, I'm glad you're here. Like we're glad you're back. So yeah yeah i mean i don't know i think tammy and i are very much alike in that um we keep lists and i know for me when i check something off on that list i feel like good about myself like oh you know right or wrong i could have been working three days to get but when i check that box i feel like okay you know i did so it's a self-reward if you don't have those boxes to check around work you still need to check some boxes and one of the best ways to do that is to help other people this is a great great time to do some volunteering this is a great time to sponsor someone at 12-step meetings at that this is a great time to take a commitment at a meeting to bring the coffee to bring the books do things that are good for others and make you feel good about yourself um, that is a great way to make other things like work less important because the re rewards that you get from giving um, that um, will fill in some of that obsession with work because you'll be being fed emotionally in other places. So, and, and um, my dog wants to go out. One of the best models that they have in addiction and uh, sex offender recovery right now that's fairly new is something called the Good Lives Model. And it's in Australia. And what the Good Lives Model is about is that they take people who have these issues and they make them invest in working at the SPCA. They make them invest in working in senior citizens' homes. They make them invest so that there is a part of most of us addicts that often feels like, oh, you know, maybe I'm not worthwhile, maybe I'm not adequate, especially if you lose your job. One of the ways that I think, well, I won't speak for you, Tammy, that I feel good about myself is giving my time away. And when I get a note from one of you that says this was helpful and, you know, thank you, that's just icing on the cake. I appreciate that. But it's doing this that makes me feel rewarded. And I wonder what you are doing for others um, to give of yourself. And I think that will take away some of this because really we're talking about a self-obsession and what takes away self-obsession is giving uh, giving some of it away um so that would be i would make my identity about how can i be a more giving more loving more expressive person um and then everything else is going to work better so and welcome back uh, yeah and on that note because mm, uh, this is not a big shock but like i've been in a position like that and like I was immediately going to go volunteer for, you know, 20 different groups. And then I thought, you know, it's probably not a good idea. So, so I was very intentional, you know, and I, 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 I had to be, I needed to, you know, slow things down, be intentional. Cause the last thing I wanted to do was go volunteer and say yes to a whole bunch of things and then turn right. around and have to, you know, retract it. So, so picking things that were of genuine interest that I mm -hmm. wanted to continue and that I was willing to, um, to commit to, you know, even if, you know, uh, the next job um, had, I had to work around it, that was meaningful to me. But again, it, it was being intentional and reflective of, of that. So, so I think it's a really good opportunity. And with a, a couple of years in, you're in a different place, you know, so, so that is, there's a lot, a, a lot going right for you right now. So. Okay, the next um, add-on was the kids are 16 and 13. Any other comments about, you know, kind of teens? No, they're okay. too young to, you know, keep them out of it. I will say this, though. If you have a bunch of kids and one of them finds out about your acting out, they all are going to find you out. Like, there's no kids do not keep secrets from each other. You know, mm -hmm. don't tell your sister she's too young. Forget about it. 
So, you know, um, I would also try to meet with them together, you know, so they have the same information at the same time. Anyway, go ahead, Tammy, we should move on. Okay. I feel a bit hopeless. It's been five months since D-Day and I've been seeing a qualified therapist, 12 step and work groups on here. Wife has three therapists as well. She asked for a separation for the past month and a half. And I have been miserable being away from our young kids. And I see that our relationship getting more and more distant, which I thought was supposed to be getting better. We did the disclosure. She knows everything. And she said, she has said that she can't seem to get over the disgusting things I've done in my life, even outside of our marriage, which produces a lot of shame in me. She says she can't imagine being with someone who is sexually turned on by some of the things I have watched done. It, and it's a red line for her. She asked how I could possibly have enjoyed that. And I can't. Is it, is there any hope that she seems to be more and more distant every week? So Tammy, um, there's a lot of questions inside of this. And this is one of those times where I wonder if maybe you could break them down to maybe one or two questions that we could, you know, more succinctly answer. Yeah. Well, I wanted to comment on the, you know, you're doing, you know, at the end of the day, we have no control over someone else's actions and reactions. All we can do is take care of ourselves. I was curious about her having three therapists. That seems like a lot, but I don't know. Dr. Rob, you may have, you know, a reflection on that. So, um, uh, you know, one of the questions is she can't get over what she's heard. And I'm assuming you had a formal therapeutic disclosure. So even with that and the containment within that, she still is, she, there's information that she has heard that is too upsetting to her. So, um, well, did you want to comment on that, Tammy? Well, I, yeah, I mean, it's just like with a formal therapeutic disclosure, you know, a well done one is, you know, it's contained information and it isn't like every gory detail that gets stuck in their heads. Now, some of them have discovery and learn those things, but, you know, so, so, so I'm questioning a little bit of that. I, I guess my big point with all of this is, you know, yeah, there, there will be a loss for you because of your behaviors, you know, of you know, a situation you got no control over, you know, her or her reactions, but you know, you can be a better dad. You can show up regardless, even if you are not in a relationship with her, you, you will still co-parent with her. You will co-grandparent with her. I, I use that because I want you to understand the magnitude of you showing up and being the best person you can in recovery is the only way that, that you have a, a chance to really be the, the dad your kids deserve. So, um, but what are your thoughts? Well, what I hear is trauma. Yeah. You know, and I, uh, when someone says they can't get something out of their head and they're ruminating about it and they can't get over it and even seeing us from, I mean, I understand, I understand all of those feelings to some degree and someone has been betrayed, but this feels a little bit like she, maybe she's reminded of some things that happened to her in the past or happened to someone else. I think when someone can't get it out of there, now, the fact that you acted out, I don't think any spouse can get that out of their mind for five months maybe it you know it takes a little bit longer but but if it's very specific to certain things you looked at or certain things you did or things that are going over and over and over in her head that may be something you can't do anything about and that either time will take care of or you know it might be that her therapist or professional might recommend that she do some trauma work um, i don't know Speaking to the three therapists, um, it's very simple for me to answer. We have an ethical responsibility. 
Like I sign a co- I, I have a code of ethics. Every licensed professional, doctors, nurses, therapists, lawyers, we all have a code of ethics. And one of the things in my code of ethics, in other words, I could lose my license if I did this, is that I cannot have someone I'm working with see more than one primary individual therapist. So if I'm seeing you once a week for therapy, you can't see anyone else for therapy unless you're going to a group or you're doing something specific, like working on an addiction issue, or you're doing some exercises for trauma, certainly three. The only way I would have three therapists would be one, I'm working on a specific issue. The other might be in group or personally, and then I might see someone for couples. But you have to understand that if I'm seeing two primary therapists, it's really problematic. And that's unethical because I say to the first one, well, you know, blah, blah, blah. And they say, well, here's this idea. And then I go to the other therapist and I say, blah, blah, blah. And they say, well, here's this idea. And then I have to figure out which is the right one or, you know, it's not appropriate. So now, of course, you can't say to your wife, you know, I think you should do it differently because she just hates you. (laughs) Um, But and I assume it's a wife. I don't really know Mm -hmm. if it's a male or female, but I am concerned for you that. um, Well, I'm concerned about two things. I I am concerned about three therapists because it sounds like one or two too many. And that will make her more, especially if, she, if not all the therapists work in our field, a lot of therapists, not particularly good ones, will take on your anger and your disappointment and start feeding it back to you, which is, boy, I don't know if I could live with that. And the way he's treated you, and you know, that's not helpful. Um, it's helpful to say, how, how is it? What is your life like since this has been going on? And you must feel terrible. It makes me feel me feel sad that you're going through this, but it's not the same as discouraging you from being in this relationship, discouraging you from trying to heal it. So part of it is I would be part of it is, is this therapist your wife working with working toward your healing as a couple or away? Um, finally, oh, two more things. It, you know, what turns me on, I can't, I'm not responsible for it. I'm responsible for what I look at. And what I do with that. But if some, you know, if someone who's trans turns me on or someone into leather or lace, that's what turns me on. There's nothing I can do about it. That's who I am. It's part of me. Do I have to act on it? No. Do I have to look at it? No. But is it going to go away? No. And, you know, a lot of folks I work with, I wrote an article about this called The Porn Made Me Do It, meaning that I've worked with lots of people who they look at, they've looked at porn that they never thought would turn them on and then they realized that it did and now they're into stuff that they never thought they'd be into and i've had a lot of clients say to me well once i stop looking at the porn that's going to go away because it was the porn that made me do it and the answer is that porn is i love these are my words porn is both excitatory means it turns us on and it is revelatory meaning it reveals things to us there is an unconscious there are parts of us we just don't know about that's what therapy's for like some people have told me i can be really angry but i never saw myself as being angry i had to figure that one out so once the porn reveals something to you that turns you on it's not like the porn made you be turned on it's that you discovered some part of yourself that you didn't know was arousing that may or be may not be what your wife married you for but it's there and it's not going away um the question is more are you acting it out are you causing problems with it is it hurting you now the only things that don't count in that is um sexual orientation for example 
Um, if you've been looking, if you're a male and you've been exclusively looking at men and you have been having sex with men or whatever, you know, that is a legitimate thing for your wife to say, I don't know if that means we can be together because you're, that's really what you're into. There are other people who don't enjoy sex without, um, you know, having someone hit them. That's just what they're into. And it's not my job to say that's right or wrong. But if your spouse can't get out of their head, the fact that this is what you enjoy, it's well, and let me say one more thing, actually. Some spouses feel like, oh, you're not going to enjoy sex unless you're doing that. And I don't want to do that. So we're not going to enjoy sex anymore. Um, I think and that this it feels like there's a lot of information that's not being talked about between the two of you. Um, this is a conversation that you really need to have in a calm space, maybe with a couples therapist, which is, you know, I did this and it sounds like it really disgusts you or whatever. And I want to know more about that. And, you know, I, I don't think I'll do this again. This is part of who I am. There's a lot of talking that needs to go on here because what I hear is sort of the end pieces of it, which there's disgust, there's, I feel bad, there's, but I don't see the two of you actually getting into the conversations. What she believes and thinks may not be entirely accurate. What you're perceiving as her disgust or whatever may not also be entirely accurate. It could still be some of her anger about what you've done. Um, I will say that getting distant week and week after week, you know, that after five months, I don't think that's unusual. But are you talking about it? I notice you're more distant do you see that as a temporary thing or a permanent thing or you know what do you see happening here um i see a lot of assumptions and curiosity and things that tammy and i could make up answers to as i have anyway but just because i don't know more but i really really encourage these are questions that the two of you need to be talking about so that you can come to some peace with it um and quickly you know i wouldn't leave this on the back burner for a year these are even if you're not having sex these are in front of mind for her so or top of mind, whichever you say. Top of mind, so I yeah. think I think that you need to make, let's go talk about that. You know, not I'm so ashamed. I can't believe I did it. I'm so, so sorry. But let's talk about that. I know it's difficult, but, you know, let's get through that if we can. And let's get a professional to help us if we can. Um, and by the way, having a professional, being a, someone with a PhD in sex, um, which is true, I can't tell you how much. Um, we don't understand about sex and often therapists don't understand about sex and someone might hear you did this and they just think it's that and it's really this you know it it takes and in our community tammy and i have found that there are many therapists who are really well trained in sex addiction but they don't know anything about fetishes or sexual orientation or you know so you got to see the right person and ask the right questions for these things to be uh figured out and if your wife is seeing three different therapists that that does concern me. So, and I want to go back to the, I feel a bit hopeless, you know, for today, you do your recovery work. That's you for today, do your recovery work tomorrow, get up and for today, do your recovery work. That's, that's all we have control over are what we do and our actions and reactions. So, okay. And I'm going to say one more thing. Um, when clients come to seeking integrity for treatment, it's almost exclusively because they're in a relationship problem of some kind. It takes a while for them to figure out that they're not there for that at all. That yes, they want to solve the relationship problems, but they also realize they want to be better people. They want to have more integrity. They want to live, be able to live comfortably with themselves. So rather than your wife being your higher power, the reason, you know, if she goes this way, then I'm this in this mood. And if she goes that way, 
stability in your recovery is really important. Um, it's difficult for couples when you're used to depending on each other as it should be for your first answer support as you go to your spouse. Well, now your spouse is angry at you. So you're going to them is hurtful for them because they have to turn to you and try to support you. It asks them to move away from anger to be there for you. And that's just not their job. And by the way, they can't turn to you for support, even though that might be what you're used to, because you're the one who hurt them. So there is a long period where both of us need to turn away from the relationship for support so that when we turn back to the relationship, we're more grounded to deal with each other. For example, we don't encourage couples therapy at the beginning of this, you know, when you guys find all this stuff out, because it usually tends to be, I can't believe you did this to me. I can't believe you did this to me. And the other partner saying, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. And that isn't really useful for couples therapy. So it may well be that you really need to focus on getting support from others. Uh, it may also be that your spouse is focusing on herself and her own support and her and that you're just not important at the moment. But again, all these things really need to be talked about. And I hear more questions than answers that, than we can answer here. It is for the two of you to answer. And and we're going to, there was more, like she asked for more details before and after it. Like if you're doing a formal therapeutic disclosure oh. and, and she had seven pages of questions afterwards, that is for her therapist to be helping navigate. There's probably a handful of questions that are legitimately like asking for clarification or safety, but your the disclosure, you know, is you know, is contained information. Dr. Rob has talked about it's a couple of pages of data and information. It isn't 25 pages of every oh. gory detail. And on this date, I did this. And then, you know, I looked at porn on that date and I did whatever. I mean, there's key things that absolutely need to be, I, you know, I had sex with my family member or with your family member. That's a really big deal. You know, we've heard that recently. So, you know, so, well, it, you know, and I wanted to add to that, Tammy, which is that, um, um, just to really reinforce what Tammy said, maybe in a slightly different way, is that every spouse wants more answers. But what about this? What about that? And there is an illusion in that for spouses, which is, and you tell us this, by the way, is I just need to know this. And there's this thought that you have, spouses, that if I know about this and that, then I'm going to feel better. Or I'm going to, and the truth is, you're not, because this is a horrible situation. No matter how many answers you get, you're still going to feel awful. There's another part that, well, maybe I can see if he or she's doing this or look out for it or know more when it's coming if I know more. No, you won't. You didn't before and you won't now. What Tammy's saying is there are certain details, how big their boobs were, or how many times I did this or what their hair, you know, or what kind of sex we had or wh where. It, there are things that if you say them, you can't. How do you, you can't, once the cork is out of the bottle, you can't put it back in. Your spouse will obsess about this because they can't get it out of their mind because it was too graphic, too detailed, too much information. Do I need to know that you saw sex workers over a three-year period of time and it cost you this much and that you had, uh, you were, you know, that you were safe? And yeah, I need to know those things. How often, how much did you spend? Am I at risk? You know, how, exactly how many times do you think you did this and where were we living? But, you know, uh, the specifics about the sexual act or what you did with that person, unless it inv involves safety or you, I wouldn't want to tell my spouse that not because I'm hiding things, but because it, they'll never get it out of their head. And when you think of me doing X, Y, Z in a sexual act and you're having sex with me and you start thinking about that, 
it's going to ruin any possibility of a sex life that we have going forward. So this is actually a boundary issue, which is um, learning from my therapist what is appropriate to say and what isn't. And for the spouses, you know, to put your questions together and find out what is the real bottom line. And by the way, the bottom line of all your questions is, is this safe and can I move forward? Or is this going to continue to be unsafe and do I need to not move forward? Um, you know, that's basic. There are underlying questions that underlie the 700 questions you have, and you can pretty much get it down to a page. Um, yeah. So, Tammy, I really so, want to so, answer well, the next I, question. I, Go ahead. Okay, but, and I want to tag onto this. So, so because I had a partner, I was talking to her, she had 150 questions, and I was like, we got it down to three questions. There were three legitimate questions. All of the rest boiled down to that. But with your formal therapeutic disclosure, there should have been a plan of, you know, if questions come up, she's going to take them to her therapist, work through them and, and navigate that. Not just she is asking you and you're answering them. So, so there has to be a plan of, and if it's too complicated or whatever, then we need to go see our couples therapist to navigate this or go back. I mean, like there needs to be a plan doing these DIY and just, you know, having it, you know, barrage at you look, look what happens, you know, you've got, um, you know, you're at a stance. So what I hear is you want to answer the, why do addicts lie? Yes, I just want to let my dog out. Go yeah. on, get out. Why do out, addicts out, out. find it so hard to be consistently honest, even when there's no sexual acting out, lies come out that make no sense to me. This is so true. That there is a genuine decision to stop lying, but it still happens. Does this mean that they are bad, choosing to continue to lying, or can they genuinely struggle with this simple choice? Well, I'll tell you why I lie as an active addict. I lie because I want to keep doing what I'm doing and I don't want you to find out. And as long as you don't know, then I can keep doing what I'm doing and not get in trouble. I also lie because I'm being the addict. I also lie because I don't want you to get angry at me. I don't want you to be upset. Or I lie to myself and think, if you know about this, it will hurt you. And the truth is, the more you know, the less it will hurt you. Um, and so, and it doesn't make sense. None of this makes sense. Addiction doesn't make sense. Why would you ruin your life when you, you know, I do think though that many of us have various kinds of trauma and abuse. You know, I, I was working with a guy today, actually, he had been beaten to crap by his dad. I mean, it was true. And so when someone came up at him in adult life and they were angry, he would just shrink inside of himself and he would never say anything that might upset them further because he learned when he grew up, saying and doing the wrong thing means you might get the shit beaten out of you. Now, from that man to move from that trauma fear thing when you he sees that angry face whatever angry face it is to being honest and open that's a big journey for people who have a lot of abuse i'm not excusing the lie but i have a rule which is you know if you're gonna lie to me i want to hear the truth within 24 hours or 48 hours you lie to me in therapy you know drop me a message i know you're gonna lie because that's what addicts do but can you come back and tell me that we don't we lie in the moment but that doesn't mean that we want to hold on to it and really good recovery doesn't mean that I will always tell you the truth immediately. But what it does mean is within a specified period of time, within 12 hours, 24 hours, 48 hours, I'm going to talk to some people about what happened. I'm going to come back to you and tell you the truth. And the truth could be, no, I didn't take the garbage out yesterday. You know, it could also be I had sex with five people. It's the consistency of honesty that makes you guys feel safer. Um, there are all kinds of reasons from not being a good person to being a deeply traumatized person, everything in the middle that might cause me to not want to be honest. I don't think that most addicts I work with, and I've worked with hundreds and hundreds, are bad people. 
Um, I've run into a few, um, but mostly they're just really broken people. And for you, lying may not be a choice. It may be you just tell the truth. For some of us, it may be, oh, oh my God, I'm so afraid they asked that question. What do I do? We're not even thinking about lying as much as getting out of the situation. So I think one of the hardest things for people to understand is that everyone doesn't think the same way we do. You know, I know so many people who, you know, uh, they would be, they have absolutely no interest in having two drinks. Absolutely none. They cannot understand why someone would sit there and drink the whole bottle. And likewise, someone who's a drunk can understand why someone would just have a half a glass of wine when that whole bottle is there. Well, we think differently, especially addicts. And so, you know, if it was you, you wouldn't lie. But this person who has their history and what they're dealing with, they might lie very readily. So it doesn't mean they're necessarily a bad person, but it sure means they're broken. Um, and as Tammy and I say all the time, and we got to go after this, meet once a night for a half an hour and say, during this time, we're going to go through whatever we need to go through. Um, and that way it isn't you're getting questions all day long or, you know, in the moment you just have to give an answer. You know, you have some spe specified time when you're talking about these issues, because if I was in the middle of doing this and doing that and calling work and doing that and somebody said, did this happen or not? I I'm not sure that that would be the best moment where I could be honest and pour out my heart. But I could say, let's talk about this this evening during our specified time to talk about it. So anyway, I think we should go. Right. One more thing. The 10th step is continue to take personal inventory. And when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. It's one of those things that is key to us living differently because we have to be able to tell the truth to ourselves. Dr. Rob said it. We lie to ourselves. We lie to everyone else. So we have to be able to understand Oh, that was not truthful, you know, or it was half a truth or a lie of omission, not commission. So, so learning to understand that is what recovery is all about. And that's why it's different than just abstinence. Abstinence is I stopped the acting out behavior. Great. But that's just the beginning of the journey. And it's telling the truth. And Dr. Rob in the out of the doghouse book, he talks about the lying and it's the lying about, you know, all of these things. Thank you for listening to this episode of Overcoming Betrayal and Addiction. If our words have led you to seek help, please reach out. You can always find us at www.seekingintegrity.com.